All right. Good morning, ladies. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this time that we get to spend together in your word, Father God. And thank you for all the ladies that are here today. And I pray that you would um, just help us to um, take all of our brokenness and all of those thoughts and things that are just tugging at us and set them aside as we uh, just hear from you today, Father God. And I pray that you would empty me of myself and fill me with you so that's exactly what would happen today, that we would hear from you. and. Um, and no one else, Father God. And I, I thank you and I praise you uh, just for how much you love us and how good you are to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. We're going to jump right into the scripture because usually I go long. I like talking once I get up here. I'm always nervous and then I don't stop. So um, Nehemiah was sent to Judah in Nehemiah 2. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, and I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. My first question that I had is, Why is the date recorded like this? So I was kind of researching because there's a reason for everything in Scripture. Sometimes we just don't, we just skip over it and don't look into why. And I found a a study by David Guzik, and he had a couple of answers for that. Um, The first is to show us that Nehemiah's prayers were what God wanted for him, but they weren't immediately answered. Uh, He had to spend four months praying to find his answer what he was supposed to do for the Lord. And so um, I would encourage you when you're praying for something not to give up too easily or uh, be discouraged when your prayers aren't answered right away. I know I tend to be a I want instant results kind of girl, and that's not how the Lord works. The second one, and this one's kind of hard to follow, so I hope that you guys can follow me. But the date is important because it establishes the date given to restore Jerusalem and its walls in Daniel 9.25. And it says that exactly 173,880 days from this day, which would be March 14, 445 B.C., Messiah the Prince would be presented to Israel. Sir Robert Anderson, the eminent British astronomer and mathematician, makes a very strong case that Jesus fulfilled the prophecy exactly to the day entering Jerusalem on April 6, 32 A.D., precisely 173,880 days from Nehemiah 2.1. So um, there is reason for it. This is according to David Guzik, who is a well-renowned Calvary Chapel um, pastor and He does his research. And so that kind of stuff is a little above my head, but I think that's really interesting, and I think that those prophecies are true. And um, if that's something that interests you, I think that you'll find uh, that to be accurate if you look into it more. Another thing, last week we were talking a little bit about what a cupbearer, what his position was in the royal courts. And a cupbearer was actually an officer of high rank in the royal courts 
whose duty it was to serve the drinks at the royal table. He didn't just serve the drink. He poured in the king's presence his wine or whatever he was drinking and tasted it first. And if he didn't kill over, then the king knew it was safe. Um, And I I imagine there were more than one reason. Probably um, people did get poisoned a lot from just the way they stored and kept food and prepared it. And also because he was a king and people were trying to kill him. So um, Nehemiah had that privilege of being the guy who got to take that first drink and see that it was safe for the king. Um, And a person must be thoroughly trustworthy to hold this position. Uh, He has to guard the king's cup at all time. And uh, he, he had confidential relations with the king and was often given a position of great influence. Uh, the position of cupbearer is greatly valued and given only to a select few throughout history. Qualifications for the job were not held lightly, but of high esteem, valued uh, for their modesty, industriousness, and courage. I guess it did take a lot of courage to take that first drink. I don't know that I would necessarily volunteer for the job, but there we go. So... Back to our scripture, it says, So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire? The fact that Nehemiah's father's tombs were laid in waste was a disgrace, and the king could sympathize with Nehemiah's concern that his people be safe and have dignity. But notice that Nehemiah didn't mention what the place was that he was referring to. That's going to come into play in a minute here. And when Nehemiah was asked why he was sad, he was honest. I think sometimes we're prideful, and when we come to church or whatever and people see there's something wrong with us, um, I think we have a lot of excuses, but usually it comes down to pride. You don't want to tell people there's something wrong with you or something going on in your life. Or we are so humble that we don't want to bother people with our problems. But I think that um, we, we miss opportunities for the blessing of prayer, for sure, when we don't share our problems with other people. And I think um, that sometimes we steal people from other pe- or jewels from other people's crowns because we don't give them that opportunity to love on us and care about us like they should. And they can't do that if they don't know. Uh, so I think it's important not necessarily to whine and like every time you have any sort, like I had a little sharp pain that went through my wrist for three seconds yesterday, can you pray? Like you don't need to whine and, and um, look for reasons to give people jewels in their crowns. But, um, you know, when you do have a legitimate problem or concern, you know, you don't need to feel like your problem is insignificant. It's not. And I know that when people trust me enough to share those problems with me, I consider it a great honor and certainly not a bother. So I hope that, um, you know, you guys have put yourself out there a little bit. But I also would encourage you to choose wisely um, who you're putting yourself out to and how much information that you give. If you don't know the person very well, it's fine to say, um, I'm having some problems at home if you're having problems in your marriage or whatever, with your kids, whatever. 
um, you don't have to give every single detail. But if it's someone that you know and trust, then you can give more details without crossing that line into gossip. Um, certainly, you know, not about your spouse. You don't want to start ba- turn it into a bashing session at church with someone about, you know, whatever's going on at home. Um, and I would encourage us to, uh, if someone just says, I'm having problems at home, don't start trying to drag details out of them. Uh, you know, uh, if they give generalities, it's probably because they want you to only have generalities and leave it at that. And I know sometimes, uh, geez, uh, my teeth almost itch because I want to know more. I have to admit it. I, I'm that way. And so in those cases, I know that it's that much better that I don't ask for those details because if I did find them out and they were as juicy as I thought they were going to be, then I'd be that much more tempted to break that confidence. And that's certainly not someplace that I want to put myself. And I don't want to betray anyone ever, hopefully, um, certainly not intentionally. And so don't uh, desire to have your ears tickled and, and, and get that extra information because it's putting, it could potentially be putting you and the other person in a bad place. So just, if generalities are what comes up, then go with it and pray. The Lord knows. We don't need to know. And But, let's see. And sometimes, Nehemiah had his prayer answered because he prayed for what he wanted. If we don't pray and if we don't allow others to pray for us, then God's not going to answer our prayers, right? Um, It says that you have not because you do not ask. We need to be praying. We need to be in constant communication with the Lord. Um, Again, just I would really like to emphasize, don't ask for more details. A lot of times people even... Like if someone says, pray for my sister, they ask for the name. What's your sister's name? And I don't see anything wrong with that. I think sometimes it makes it easier for people to remember to pray. But I think that, well, for me personally, I don't do that because I don't want to get into the habit of asking more questions from what they said. That's my personal thing about it. Um, Not that I think there's anything wrong with it, but I kind of feel like, if they wanted you to know, maybe they would have told you. But that's my hang-up. I think sometimes, you know, it's not gossip if we don't, like if they live across country or whatever and we're never probably going to meet them, you know, then it's okay to know their name. But for me, my hang-up is don't ask questions. Leave it, leave it where they gave it. Um, that's just my thing. And I kind of encourage you guys to pray about that too before uh, you start asking questions from people, okay? So Nehemiah became afraid for many reasons. Um, One, Persian monarchs believed that being in their presence was such an honor that it should make you very happy. And not only was he sad in the king's presence, which could have gotten him in trouble, but he was asking to go somewhere else besides the king's presence. That's not a great thing to do. Um, And then on top of that, We're going to look, if you guys want to start turning, at Ezra 4, 
um, Artaxerxes was the one who had stopped the construction on the wall to begin with. And so we're going to read Ezra 4 real quick and uh, see how that came about. So when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Esar Haddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Joshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses of Israel said to them, You may do nothing with us to build a house for our God, but we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. In the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of the reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Artaxerxes also, Bishlam, Mithridath, Table and the rest of their companions wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated into the Aramaic lang- language. Rehum, the commander, and Shimshi, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes in this fashion. From Rehum, the commander, Shimshi, the scribe, and the rest of their companions, representatives of the Dionites, Dionites, and Aphrodites, we'll just say, and Tarpolites, the people of Persia, and Erech, and Babylon, and Shushan, the Dehavites, Elamites, and the rest of the nations whom the great noble Osnapper took captive and settled in the cities of Samaria and the remainder beyond the river, and so forth. This is the copy of the letter they sent him. So this is a whole lot of people conspiring to get this building stopped. So you can kind of see why maybe it took the Lord so long to answer those prayers and um, and why it was taking so much planning and prayer to get these walls back on track to be built. But here goes the letters. To King Artaxerxes from your servants, uh, the men of the region beyond the river, and so forth. Let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building the rebellious and evil city and finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Let it be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will not pay tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Was this factual? No. Uh, that's how Satan works, though. Now, because we receive support from the palace, it was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king that search may be made in the book of the records of your fathers, and you will find in the book the records that records and know that this city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and provinces, and that they have incited sedition within the city, in former times for which cause the city was destroyed. 
we inform the king that if this city is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the result will be to you will be that you have no dominion beyond the river. And the king sent this answer to Rehum the commander, to Shimshai the scribe, and the rest of their companions who dwell in Samaria and the remainder beyond the river, peace and so forth. I love that. Peace and so forth, whatever, etc. The letter um, which you sent to us has been clearly read before me, and I gave the command, and a search has been made, and it was found that the city in former times has revolted against kings, and rebellion and sedition have fostered in it, have been fostered in it. There have also been mighty kings over Jerusalem who have ruled over all the region beyond the river, and tax tribute and custom were paid to them. Now give the command to make these men cease that the city may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that you do not fail to do this. Why should damage increase to the herd of the kings? Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum Shimshai, the scribe, and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of King of Darius, king of Persia. So that's how the wall construction stopped. And now we're getting to how it restarts, and it restarts through prayer. Then the king said to me, what do you request? So I prayed to the king of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. How beautiful is that? Before he opened his mouth to speak, he prayed. How I would exhort all of us to do exactly that. Before we open our mouth to pray. It doesn't have to be a lengthy or showy prayer. But boy, if we were to pray before we spoke, what a more beautiful place it would be. Just even right here in Running Springs if we all did that, right? Um, and, and I'm not talking about rote um, prayers, you know, just having the same prayer every time before, like, Lord, you know, guide my lips and tongue or whatever. Um, Because if you pray the same prayer over and over again, it just becomes a habit. It's not something that really means anything. But what I'm talking about is just a desire to be in constant communication with the Lord and what he has for you in your life. Um, I think, you know, I'm not there yet, I have to admit, but... How beautiful would my life be and everything that I do and my witness to other people and the way my light shines to other people would be so much more of credit and glory to God if I would do that. If I would just desire to be in constant, meaningful communication with him. And I would encourage all of us to seek after that for our lives. Um, I don't think it's something necessarily that we think about all the time, but it's something that I certainly want to strive for in my life. And so the king said to him, and the queen sitting also beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. Isn't that beautiful? It pleased the king to send me. I think that's one of the most beautiful things 
that I've heard in a while. When God answers your prayers, this is the same king who said, these people are conspiring against me. They're not going to pay taxes. They're rebellious. They're going to cause problems. And now he's saying, I'm pleased to send you to go take care of this business. That's God's beautiful answer to prayer. And that's the result if we do what I just talked about, which is trying to stay in that constant communication with him and seeking his will in our lives. It pleased the king to send him. You know, this is his trusted advisor, the guy who makes sure his food is safe. This is somebody he trusts, not somebody that's easy to replace. And it pleased them to send him. That's like sending your best bud off to war or something. You know what I'm saying? Like, this was not, and it pleased him. I think it's God is so good. Furthermore, I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the region beyond the river, that they must permit me to pass through till I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, and that he must give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, which pertains to the temple, for the city wall, and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted them to me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Here's another thing that I'm excited about. When God answers our prayers, I think it's so exciting to be bold in Christ. He started with one request that was already a huge request. And then he's like, but there's more. You know, and he got, he knew it was the Lord's doing. He knew that he was in the Lord's will. And he was bold, therefore, in it. And I pray that we would be so bold. Don't put God in a box and only ask for the minimum. Once you know that you're blessed and you're in God's will, go for it. Go for the gusto. God is not in a box. He's not to be put in a box. And he's not limited by our imaginations. So he said... Since you're pleased to send me, King, could you also pave the way for me and make my path much easier? I, I just, I think that it would be so easy to have just like scuttled out of there quickly before the king changed his mind. And that's not what he did. He trusted in the Lord and he was bold in the Lord. And again, what a great example, a beautiful example for us. Be bold in the Lord. And in Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. He'll do exceedingly abundantly above what we ask or think. Above what we could ask or think. Connie just told us a story this morning. Um, Brandon just got engaged. Yay! But he had been praying for a long time. Connie said, just generally for a godly woman and he kept getting godly women but they weren't the women for him and so finally he narrowed down his prayer and specifically asked for certain characteristics in this woman and as Connie put it poof there she was and God is good that way oh but and more she was everything he asked for and more and that's to me exactly what happened here when we're seeking God's will for our life, when we're asking and praying, what do you have for me, Lord? And, you know, I'm pretty bad about, well, this is what I want, but only if it's your will. I guess I don't know if that's good or bad, but usually I boss them around for a little bit, tell them what I want. But then I, 
but only if that's your will, Lord. This is what I think you have for me, but, you know, only if it's your will. And I mean it because I'm getting old enough and I've been saved long enough now that I know that, yeah, he'll give it to me even if it's not in his will, if I want it bad enough and I beg for it long enough. But, um, boy, I can tell the difference if it wasn't his will and he just did it because I was a whiny little brat or if it's because I was seeking after his will. And so just keep that in mind, too, when you're praying for those things. Seek after his will for our lives. Um, You know, we forget, and I say this probably almost every time I teach, but when I was in high school, I was always in love with somebody new probably every week or month. I don't know. But everyone I wanted to marry, and this is the one for me. I'm going to die if I don't marry him. And I just keep thanking God for all those things that I was going to die if I didn't get, those unanswered prayers that that they were no, and of course I wasn't saved then. But I know now that he was watching over for me, and he was making me wait. And so, um, you know, sometimes when you feel like God's telling you no or he's telling you wait, be thankful, man. Because if we got what we wanted sometimes... We would get what we wanted, and that's not good, right? <laughs> you think so? So then I went to the governors in the region beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. And the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. And again, you know, probably you guys caught on to this, but Nehemiah didn't ask for the captains of the army to go with him and the horsemen. He just wanted to go and have his little letters. But God gave abundantly beyond what he asked for. And when we seek his will, that's what happens to us. And I just can't emphasize that enough to you ladies that, um, you know, if you're looking for his will, if you're looking to do his will in your life, and you're seeking after him, then he's going to do abundantly beyond what you think you need or what you're looking for. So I came to Jerusalem and, and was there three days. Then I arose in the night and I and a few men with me. I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem, nor was there any animal with me except the one on which I rode. And I went out by night through the valley gate to the serpent wall and the refuse gate and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, which were burned with fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal under me to pass. So I went up in the night by the valley and viewed the wall. Then I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done. I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or the others who did the work. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in now, how Jerusalem lies in waste and its gates are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said, Let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to this good work. Nehemiah was a beautiful leader. He included himself among the workers, and he led them by example. 
and they were glad to follow him. He was a man of action. God called him, and he did it. I think that um, all of us are leaders. Every one of us is a leader, whether um, you're leading your kids or, um, I don't know, for me it's probably mostly my kids. But you don't think of yourself that way. You're just mom, right? But they're watching us, and other people are watching us, and we're leading them by example. I can talk all day to people about what they should do and what they ought to do, um, but if they're asking me for my advice, what they're going to do is follow my actions, what I do. If they think that I got it going on in a certain area and that's why they want my advice and my opinion and my words that I give them are contradictory to my actions and what they see, then they're going to follow my actions and what they see, right? And my kids as in particular, if I'm going to church but I am um, going down the freeway using my tall finger a lot, you know, every time somebody does something that I don't like, then what are my kids going to do? They're going to be using their tall finger a lot. And they're, I'm leading them astray. I'm, I'm teaching them the wrong thing. And I'm certainly not reconciling who they should be in Christ and with what I'm teaching them. And so, you know, what they learn at church should be what they see at home, should be what, how my husband and I talk to each other, how I speak to them, how I speak to strangers at the grocery store, how I treat people at church. And what I say to your face should be what I say about you behind your back when I'm talking about you, and that should be that I love you, right? And that's what I should be modeling to my kids. That's what I should be modeling to whoever is watching me. And I'm leading people that I don't know about. It happened to me. I have many people that have led me in my life and they didn't know. Um, And it certainly wasn't by stuff they talked about. It was by, wow, that's cool what they got going on right there. That's what I want. And that's, we're leading people. So lead by example. Get in there. Get your hands dirty. Um, Connie was talking today, too, about at Bible college how a lot of um, the students get so spiritual they're of no worldly good. And so some of them, you know, when there's work to be done, they go, well, I'll just sit here and pray. And they think they're actually doing the better work. Well, if we all just sat there and prayed, not much would get done, would it? Um, And I'm not saying that prayer is a bad thing. Say, why can't you work and pray at the same time? Um, We need to be in there doing the work. And some of us are limited by certain handicaps, and that's okay. Your work can be praying for people. And your kids can know. I mean, they can look over at you and see your head bowed and see maybe your lips moving or whatever, or just know that's what you're doing. And what a beautiful example. My goodness. Or if you're walking down the street and there's a piece of trash and you pick it up, your kids will learn that. Whoever's watching you is learning that that's how we should behave. And so lead them in a good direction, whoever it is that's watching you. Because I promise there are people watching you that you don't realize. And I love that he gives God the glory for his work. 
Nehemiah doesn't say, this is my plan, and I'm going to do this, and this is all about what I want. He says, this is what God has going for us, and this is what we're going to do together. And he was a great leader. The people wanted to follow him. They were probably, yay, let's get to work, instead of, dang it, work. Those laws have been like that forever. Can't we just leave it alone? We've been fine. They haven't been fine, right? They haven't. They've been a reproach to their people. And their people are God's people. And so we need to be taking care of business. Because we are also God's people. And he, he was trying to do his part to protect God's chosen people in their land. I imagine as someone of high-ranking position in, God, in the king's castle, he probably had it pretty good. He's probably fairly comfortable. Um, he didn't have to care about those people in Jerusalem and getting those walls built. But he did, right? It wasn't necessarily his problem. He wasn't there worried about the safety of his family, but he was worried about the safety of his people and what God had for him. Uh, verse 19, But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. Again, Nehemiah had that boldness in the Lord. He knew. He knew, like Leanne used to say all the time, he knew what he knew what he knew. He knew that the Lord had this for him, and he knew that it was going to happen, and he knew that he could be bold. Charles Spurgeon once said, God had one son who was without sin, but he never had a son who was without trials. Right? We all have trials. Nehemiah had trials. He had these people who were trying to thwart what he was doing. They were making fun of him. They were talking bad about him. And, you know, sometimes when I'm doing something and I I feel convicted that it's from the Lord, but things like that start hitting me sideways, then I start doubting. Was it really the Lord or was it, you know, why is this stuff happening to me? Well, Satan's why that's happening to you. And it's okay to, like, again, be in that constant communication. Okay, Lord, am I wrong? Is this not of you? Um, these things are happening, and I'm not sure if this is your way of trying to say, hey, dummy, you know, that wasn't me you were hearing from. And he'll, he'll show you. And we need to remember when those things happen and things get in our way and we get there and the work is hard, we get there and we see the whole wall is crumbled and it's big, huge rocks and these beams are heavy, you know, you might get there and go, I can't do this. The Lord wouldn't have asked me to do this. This is hard. You know, then you can go to him. You know, we're not the only ones that have stumbling blocks that get in our way. Jesus did too. It wasn't easy for Jesus too. And I think we need to remember that. You know, God's not picking on us. We're not being singled out. That's how the system works. God's trying to get us to do good work and Satan's trying to stop it, period. And so we just need to be making sure that we're doing our part, we're staying in touch with God, and that we are in his will. And then we need to do it. And don't get 
sucked into the mess that's over there. Keep your eyes focused on what the Lord has for you. Satan tries to block the Lord's work, but he fails. Let's look at Revelation 20, 1 through 3, and then 7 through 10. When, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him up for a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And then verse 7 When the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are built on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as of the sand of the sea. Then, or they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that guy that's thwarting your plans and causing people to spread rumors and slanders and all that, that's his end. So when you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling picked on and you're feeling like maybe God's not there for you when you're going through your trials... No, forever, that is what happens to Satan and all the people that are helping him. And so instead of, well, I feel sorry for all those people that are lost and that are going to be there with him. Instead of um, being hateful towards the people that are trying to thwart us and are being used by Satan, we need to feel sorry for them and we need to be praying for them, right? Um Because if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing and keeping our eyes on what the Lord has for us, they're not going to thwart our plans. They might slow us down a little bit, but they're not going to stop us from reaching our goal. Because it says right here, God wins. God wins. Right there in Revelation, God wins. That's it. We know the end of the story. So when we get discouraged, when we feel like things are too hard, when we feel like too many obstacles are going to be put in, being put in our path, remember, Jesus was without sin, but he wasn't without trial. And neither will we be, right? And remember that God wins. So Satan is not going to be rewarded for all those things that he does for us. So what have we learned today? Well, I learned pray and wait for an answer and then pray some more and perhaps still wait for an answer and pray some more. Um, once you have that prayer answered, be bold. Let's be bold. Don't put God in a box. Don't put him in our box. Don't put him in what I think I can do. He's bigger than that. And I also learned to ask others for prayer. And I learned to act. Once you know that that's what God has for you, act. Don't let obstacles slow you down. And I threw in here, pray some more. Remember, before we speak, before we act, when those things come at you sideways, pray. And if you're called to be a leader, and we all have, lead by example. Get in there. Get your hands dirty. But be a godly woman while you're doing it. And pray some more. (laughs) Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for that 
just how we can come boldly before your throne, Father God, how we have that. Back in the Old Testament before Christ, they used to have one guy who could approach you in your throne room, Father God, and he had to have a rope tied around his ankle lest he should die and he should sin and die and they have to drag his body out. But we don't have that anymore, Father God, because of the amazing gift that Christ gave us. And I thank you. I thank you so much for the beauty of that, that we can approach you as our father, as our friend, Father God. And I thank you that you have good things for us. And I pray that we would desire to be in communication with you always. In Jesus' name, amen.